Welcome back, Seth. We're grateful. So we are going to start on this lesson. It is called Tell the Right Story. Dave actually gave me um, the freedom to speak on anything I wanted to this week. And so I spent a number of days and then a number of weeks trying to figure out what I think would be most helpful for you to learn as you go here how to live your life differently. We speak about the word gospel all the time. We talk about living life for Christ all the time. But then we leave here, we have no real practical understanding about what that's supposed to look like. So I want to try and give you a framework for how to think about this. And the the way I'm going to do it is in the terms of a story. We are story people. My Cassie loves fairy tales. Anyone else out there who's still, uh, you have the whole Disney collection. I know you do. Yeah, she's the princess who always thought she was the princess of whatever princess it was. She loves fairy tales. Then came along Aisley, who somebody needs to die and it needs to be bloody and it needs to be violent. And then came along Brennan and she likes, like a lot of you guys, for everything to explode. Everything. Blow up all the things. Yes, you do. You sat there and watched Transformers with your dad. Like, I was in the bedroom, you're watching Transformers. I'm just saying, like, blow up all the things. So that's the way we are. Some of you like mysteries. Some of you like just fantasy stories, like Lord of the Rings sort of a thing. Some of you are not like that. You're more about the, the guy gets the girl or the girl gets the guy or schemes and connives and whatever she does to get the guy, right? We are story people. But I wonder if you know why that is. Do you understand that the reason you are enamored with stories, the reason you love them is because you serve a creator God and you're made in his image. When he wrote this world, he did it by an oral story in the beginning, once upon a time in the beginning, God said, let there be light. He spoke light. And guess what we have? Light that you can see. He says tree. And you go touch its bark with the skin he speaks as well. Our God is a storytelling God. His story is so clear, so crisp, so vivid with such details that you can literally taste it and see it and feel it. Our God is a story God. Shakespeare said, All the world is a stage, and we are merely players. The truth is, we as Christians would get a lot more right in our lives if we would take his advice and understanding. Because we are living in a living drama, a living story. It would mean that we stop turning inside to figure out how to do this and turn back to the writer for our words and our direction for how this life is meant to be lived. So why don't we? I think there's three things that I'm going to talk about. There's more than three. Seth's going to change slides for me. These are the three things we're going to talk about. First of all, we don't know our parts. And what I mean by that is we don't know why we're saved. We don't know our parts. Secondly, we don't want to be written into a story. We'd like to be the writer. Thank you very much. And thirdly, we get lost in the middle of our story because we don't know the end. If you don't know the end, you're going to get lost in the middle of living it. So we're going to start with the first one. We don't know our parts. What I mean by that is not many of us understand why it is 
that we're, what word it is we're supposed to do when we're saved. So many of us think about it as if it's something that just happens to you after you die and you go to heaven. They have no idea that this speaks to anything about the Christian life. When I took over as impact training director, I got all the material from all the previous years. So a decade of material. And over and over in the impact curriculum, they were trained to say, we want you to come to know Jesus so that when you die, you can go to be, to have, be with him in heaven. It's like Christianity had nothing to say to today. And too many of us are like that. We have no idea what it is we're supposed to do. Or maybe you're like me. If you grew up around the Christianity I grew up around as an unbeliever, I wasn't a believer, but I knew who the Christians were because they were all the people who were not a lot of fun, frankly. They couldn't do anything. They didn't think anything was funny. The one strongest Christian guy I knew never attended a prom or anything because Christians can't dance. If they grow up and they hit the age of 21, they can't have a glass of wine. They couldn't have a beer with their buddies when they're 29 because they couldn't. The Christians were the people who couldn't. I didn't know the whole list of things they couldn't, but it was a long list and it made them very grumpy. And then there was me. I knew who the Christians were because I knew how they treated me. I was the bad influence. And you can kind of probably see that. I was the bad influence. I was the one literally their parents warned them away from. That's how I identified the Christians. And you may have grown up like that too, thinking that Christianity is a bunch of rules. But guess what? Those people, they heard the story, but nobody taught them how to read it rightly. Just because you know the story of Christ doesn't mean you know how to read it correctly and thereby live by it. If you thought of Christianity as living life as a bunch of rules so that when you go to heaven, I mean, you'll go to heaven instead of hell because nobody wants that, right? Then I have great news for you. You are going to love getting to know the Bible more. You're going to love getting to know Jesus more because the more you read it, the more you're going to love what it says because it says the very thing that this generation is passionate about. I have never heard more than in the last three or four years just a hatred of being judged. Just can't stand not being accepted. And you're going to love Christianity. If you care about justice, you care about the orphans, you care about peace on this earth, you're going to love us. If you, you just... You just want to love people. You just want to enjoy life. You just want to enjoy nature. You just wish people would chill out and relax and have a good time. Welcome to the church. But if the church you're thinking of doesn't look a lot like any of those things, that's because they're not telling the right story by their life. And you're going to grow up to be just like them unless you learn how to read the Bible correctly in its context as it's meant to be read. Romans 8 tells us why we were saved. I want you to look at it. I referred to this briefly back in the racism talk. So think of the racism talk, and this is me pulling out that whole point for an entire talk. It says this. These are familiar verses. I want you to read them because I think we're missing part of it. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. And then we like bring a period in there where there's not one. For those who are called according to 
purpose. His purpose. You were called according to his purpose. And what purpose is that? The very next line. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, so that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. We are called according to a purpose, and he spells out that purpose for you. Your purpose on this earth as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ is to look like Jesus. That's the simplest way I can put it. It's just to look like him. We are born again as image bearers of Christ. Let me say it like this. We are saved so that we look like him wherever he is upon this earth through us. That's your job. That's your part to play. We show the world how he looks on earth. We reflect a new kingdom. Whatever you know of Christ, that's what you're to be like. So you go to the Gospel of Matthew and you find out there over and over and over that our Jesus is a Jesus of compassion. Guess what you have to be? It's not hard. Why do you have to be forgiving? Why is it not an option? Because he's forgiving. Why do you get to be so angry at injustice? Because he is angry about injustice. But, in fact, Jesus walked upon this earth so well. He saw the Father so clearly that he could say to us in the book of John, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And now all we do is get in line right behind him. Paul puts it like this. He puts it like this seven times. One of the times it sounds like this. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Can you picture how this goes? You've got the Father. Jesus is staring at the Father. He sees him so clearly that whatever the Father says, that's what Jesus says. Whatever the Father does, that's what he does. In fact, he tells us that flat out through the book of John. And then here comes Paul, and he's saying, I'm keeping my eyes fixed on Jesus so that my life conforms more to his. And then here come you and I. And Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me. Paul's saying, just get right in line with me. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. In fact, in Philippians chapter 4, he says, keep your eye on those who walk according to the example that you have in me. Imitate their faith. But that means that some of the things that are true in us now have got to go. Because our God is not selfish. Our God is not jealous. Our God is not, well, jealous for the right things. Not jealous after your car or your hair. Our God is not hateful. Do you know what's safe in our God's hands? Your reputation. Which means others' reputation has to be safe in our hands as well. You have to match him. He stays with his church. You don't get the option of leaving us. It doesn't matter how mean we are, how much we're idiots about things. You have to stay in the church because Christ stays with his church. So these are not easy. They're actually really, really hard to get rid of. So how do we do it? The trick is that you do not turn to looking within yourself to be better. You don't turn to the church wondering how you can make her better. You look to Jesus and find out how in the world could he put up with 
this church. You have to know what he knows, feel like he feels, see what he sees to be able to do and say what he does. So if church people are hard, you would look at a passage like, for example, if this is you, hear me, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at about verse 3, you can stop at about verse 8. If you got 1 Corinthians 1 in that little section where Paul is opening that letter, if you saw what Paul saw, which he saw through Jesus, then your heart would settle in with the church. But maybe the church is not really your problem. You're happy to be here. Maybe for you, it's those unbelievers. You just cannot believe the things they do, how mean they are, how hateful they are to you, how isolating. They just make fun of you everywhere you go. Some of their sins are just gross to you. You can't even imagine being that. So what do you do? Think differently about them. Think differently about you. None of that will help. What you have to do is go back to the Word to find out how did Jesus feel about the sinners who surrounded Him? What did He know about them? What was He thinking about them? How did He feel about them? If you get to that, then you will be able to say what He says and do what He does with unbelievers. For example, if that's your problem, I would send you to Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3. I would send you to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Those passages tell you about the reality of being an unbeliever. If you see that clearly, you will have the heart of Jesus, the mind of Christ, to be able to say what he says and do what he does. If you get bent out of shape about them, It's because you haven't seen him. Whoever it is you're bent out of shape about, whatever is throwing you off, the reason it's throwing you off is because you don't see Christ in that situation to be able to know who he is and what he thinks and how he feels and what he would do. Picture your life right now, right now. This is your scene that you're playing in this drama. As I watch you, I know how you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're doing. But the question is, when I watch you, do I get a better sense of what Jesus Christ is like or am I a little more confused? Because that's the goal of our lives. As you leave here and you get in the car and you go to lunch, that's another scene where you will be displaying the truth of Jesus or not. Then you're going to go home to your families. Then you're going to do your homework. You're going to get ready for Monday. You're going to go to school on Monday. Let me put it like this. Let's say you go to school on Monday and you interact with a girl there who has declared herself to be a lesbian. Here's what I need you to understand. One of these days, when she repents of that sin and all the rest of her sins, and she turns to Jesus to follow after him, And she goes to the Bible and she reads that he is the God of compassion. She should not be saying to herself, there's no way that could be true. Because I've been around his people and I have never felt compassion from them. Your goal is to live your life in such a way that she knows Christ better because she knows you. Know this though. Christ is absolutely clear both in how he created this world, every word he ever spoke about this subject, every word Jesus ever said about homosexuality, tells us the truth about homosexuality. It is a sin. 
It is not to be made peace with in this world. Hear this. It is not any worse than any other sin, but it is a sin. Being gay isn't an option. Neither is sex outside of marriage. Neither is adultery. Neither is pornography. Neither is watching sex scenes in a rated R movie, a rated PG-13 movie. I don't care whether they call it porn or not. You hate it because he hates it. You don't get an opinion about this. You don't get to decide how you feel about issues. You are not your own. You have been bought with a price. Your job is to tell the world what he thinks and how he feels. But his attitude is not just, you're a sinner. It's just like I read a great statement this week. A pastor, he just tweeted. He said, what we need the world to know is you're wrong and you're loved. You're wrong, you're loved. That's it. We have got to strike both statements at the same time in every interaction with them. They should know the truth that we know and they should know the love that we know. We have a sign in our house. I think it's this. It's just above our fireplace. It says, live in such a way that those who know you, but they don't know God, will come to know God simply because they've known you. They should recognize Jesus in so many ways because they have watched your life. Is this easy? Well, good grief, no. Of course it's not easy. It's going to take studying Him. You will grow in this for the rest of your life as you read the Bible more, as you sit under the Word of God and preaching, as you get into community with believers. But you're not supposed to be reading your Bible like you're supposed to be taking a New Testament quiz. This is not about the facts. This is about getting to know who Christ is and through Him getting to know what the Father is like. You're supposed to feel what he feels, love what he loves, hates what he hates. That's why you're saved. You were saved to be the image of God on earth as it is in heaven. But there's a couple of things standing in our way. And that's the second, we're going to talk about two of those. The second one is, (laughs) we don't generally like this idea because we don't like the idea of being written into somebody else's story. We like writing our own stories. We like telling our own tales. We don't like being different than we want to be. We want different lives, different looks, different abilities, different talents, different money. We want different opportunities. We want our world to work like we want it to work like. It's the same old story. The the problem with that is, is we have no idea when we're reading the stories of the Bible that we're reading our lives displayed in the Bible. You go back to that very first garden where those very first two image bearers were given a world of yeses with one no. And then you watch this serpent enter the scene and he whispers this little seed of doubt that God cannot be trusted. And you see it grow into the plant inside of Eve of God doubting and self-confidence. And she looks at this tree that God says, don't eat of that tree. And she takes another look at it and she's like, gosh, it's beautiful. And the food is so good for you. And if you eat it, you're going to be wise. What could be so wrong with that? I mean, it's one little taste of one little fruit. What could go wrong? Just all of creation. 
Day one, good. Day two, good. All the way up to day six, very good. Until that moment. And in that moment, then enters the scene division and scorning within a marriage. Division among them and God hiding and nakedness and shame known. They are cast out of the garden of life into a wilderness where death will reign over their family. They will lose their firstborn son at the hands of their second son and lose that son to the world forever. And this is the story we keep replaying over and over again. We base our words, our thoughts, our feelings, our actions on what we think, how we feel. Not on God's image, but on us. We want what we want when we want it. And this world is reaping the harvest of all of those choices times billions of people upon our earth. We have all the natural disasters that you can name. But then we have all of the wars and we have all of the executions and all of the orphans. And then we have this country with 57 million babies have been murdered by abortion. 57 million babies have been killed by us for pay because we want what we want, but we want it only when we want it. Lord can't give life to us anymore. We'll decide who lives and who dies. We are reaping the harvest. And if you ever dare whisper in our sexualized culture that somebody should only be one man with one woman in a committed relationship, they will shout you down for your hate speech. They will have sex with whoever, whenever, however they want to, and you will say nothing to them about it. This is the world that you're fixing to walk out of here and enter back into again. That's the story they're telling you over and over again. What does the world care about? Their power, their rights, their own way. Romans 1 puts it like this. They turned aside. They don't worship the creator anymore. They have turned aside to worshiping the created thing, to worshiping themselves. And in the end, they will reap what they sow. They think they're just sowing the wind, but they will reap the hurricane. They think they're just after life, but they will taste only death. They think that they're just seeking to be satisfied, but they will never be full. They will fight for themselves, and they will end up with only themselves in the end. They don't understand the way the world works. But my problem is, too often in the church, we act just like them as if we don't know another story. We act just like they act, as if we've not been rewritten. Our lives have been taken over by another character. We still like the taste of ruling our own lives. But that, guys, is exactly what we gave up when you came to faith in Jesus Christ. You are not your own. The offer on the table from Jesus Christ is not Jesus as a little addition to your life. He is, will become your life, or you don't belong to Him. You don't get an option of saying, I will be with Jesus forever, but I will live nowhere for Him upon this earth. The life that Christ has for you is your whole life continually being given over. Perfectly today? Of course not. 
Of course not. Not at 17, not at 47. Over and over, we will see him clearer, grow to be more like him, slowly, slowly, slowly. How does it happen? You confess your sins. You call it sin, and you confess it as sin. You repent. The way out of this is to repent, to turn back away from serving the the creature, you, and turning to serve another, the Creator God. It's repenting. And then you have to do it, not only just on your own, in your private little scene, in your bedroom, just repenting, just you and God. It doesn't work that way, because your life is not private. Your life is public. So live a publicly repentant life. Confess your sins to one another that you might be built up. Be in community with one another so that you can hear the Word of God taught and lived out with each other. Throw off those sins. Fight the good fight to believe that God is a good Father who just like in that garden knows exactly how this world should work. Fight to believe Him over you as you go through this story. But that brings me to our last point, and that's this. One of the other reasons we don't live this life like we should is simply that we get kind of thrown off by the individual scenes in our story. We read other books and we know that like it always starts off fine and then something's going to collapse and go terrible and then somehow, some way, something's going to come to make it okay. I went with my husband to a movie last night, probably the first time in like a year. I don't see a lot of them because everything blows up in movies now. But I went to see this movie, and it's called The Life of Aldine, I think, something like that. And I'm watching it, and I have about three-quarters of the way through this movie. I turned to my husband, and I said, if they don't end this thing right, we are never coming to another movie again. I'm not kidding you. It was just at the point you're like, you're about to let her die, aren't you? And she's just going to be dead, and you're going to come over and go, yep, that's what life is like. You almost taste glory, and then you die. Welcome to our world. The end. Have a great time. Thanks for your 10 bucks. I was like, oh, uh-uh. I'm not doing this. I'm going to read every review ever. But good news, like her eyes opened. Oh, there's your hint. If you guys see the movie, eyes open. So you'll relax. And they got to the right end of the story. But in the middle of that story, I almost lost it. <laughs> Here's the thing. In the middle of my story, over and over I almost lose it. Something happens in my life. Something happens with me. Something happens with Lyra. Something happens to my husband. Something happens to my girls. Something happens with those I love. And I almost lose sight of the end of the story. I lose confidence in how this is all going. Here's the thing I need you all to understand. And for your generation, this is a lost teaching. And you need to explore it for the rest of your life. I want you to know this. Our end of our story does not have you naked in a diaper floating on some cloud singing hymns. Okay? You don't become an angel. They're freaky creatures. I mean, you might like to once you see them because every time somebody saw them, they just kind of went nuts. But you're not going to end up as an angel. You end up actually, weirdly, as you. (laughs) Alive again. Do you know where you're going to live forever? Here. On this earth. In a city. But it also has huge trees and a flowing river. 
You're going to live in community. If you'd like to go see a movie there, you can. There's art. There's culture. There's technology. There's community. We'll eat together again. You'll laugh with your friends again. You'll play sports again. This time you're going to be good at it. It's going to be phenomenal. I'm going to sing and none of you are going to turn around and take a step forward. It's going to be great. We're going to give life again. We're meant for life. God did not create us to have us float. He created us to live life again. But I need you to get this. That life is not supposed to start then. Do you remember that God's prayer, that Jesus' prayer, he taught us to pray, is hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Guess how that's supposed to happen. It doesn't come through some little like ephemeral, I just hope justice prevails. It's not like peace rains down from the sky. How it happens is that you sow peace. You fight for justice. You bring truth. You bring joy. You bring confidence. Every time you tell the right story, you break the kingdom of God into this life, just like it is in heaven. But to get to that end, you have to do it His way. And so instead of peace and joy and significance, we get murder and strife and envy and covetousness and we get wars and and quarrels. And that's just in the church. And next time you go read the Bible in the New Testament and you read all of those commands about lying and envy and hate and pornography and adultery, realize that that is Paul and John and Peter writing to the church That's where all of those things are happening, right inside of us. And they're writing to correct because that's not the the new kingdom. That's the old kingdom. But the new kingdom has come. And you're supposed to be living your life in light of the new kingdom of God. But God being merciful as he was in the beginning, still is today, knows that we grow fearful. So he gave you some helps. He gave you his Holy Spirit living right inside of you. It's a freaky understanding that you will never wrap your brain around that the living God is now alive in you. He is there to do all sorts of things that Jesus tells us. Just go through the Bible, especially through the Gospels. Look for the Holy Spirit. Just star him. Write down what it says he'll do. He does things like guide you into truth, comfort your heart, seals you with the, with the guarantee of your inheritance. He, he speaks to your mind, brings back the words of Christ to you. He does all sorts of things for you, but they're all wrapped around another gift, the Word of God. The Word of God is not, again, it's not a textbook. It is the living testimony of who Christ is. As you read it, it's meant to get you out of the world you're living in and reorient you back to the reality of the new kingdom. We go to read it, not because we have one more thing we need to memorize, but we've absorbed this world. We've got to step back into the new kingdom to find out, what, is, what am I supposed to be believing here? What am I supposed to be thinking? What am I supposed to be feeling? The Bible reorients us. And then he gave us his church so we could be together. And that through each other, you could encourage me. 
and you could build me up, and you could teach me. Ladies, you're meant to rise up to be the next generation who can teach the words of God to those who come below you, but you're also meant to be a woman who grows up and encourages my heart. Guys, you're supposed to grow up and encourage one another and teach one another all of the things that Jesus Christ taught us so that we would not grow weary and lose heart. That's what he gave us all for. God knows that it's hard to stay faithful to the end because the scenes in the middle of our story throw us off. The way he gave us, another way he gave us through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, in the church, is to be able to see the life of Christ. And this is what I mean. Israel lost it over and over. They could not stay faithful to the end. So what God did was send his only son to literally walk upon this scene with us. He entered into our scenes so that you could watch him and learn how this is supposed to work. But it's a strange story, frankly. He doesn't do anything like I might think that he would. If I was the Messiah, I would never be hungry, or tired, or betrayed, or beaten, or whipped, or mocked, or scorned. I would never die. You could never carry my lifeless body into a tomb. I wouldn't let it work that way. I would come in triumph. I would come in rule. I would come with might and power and riches. If you don't want to bow down, I'll just force your knees down. I will conquer you because my flesh is a lot more like the old kingdom than Christ. Slowly I'm understanding the strange tale that we're in, that if you lose everything, you get everything, that if you die, you actually live, that if you give up everything, that's the only time you gain anything. Jesus died as a criminal. He was laid in a tomb, but his enemies rejoiced too soon because they didn't understand the story. The story is not you go down into the dust just to stay dusty. The story is you go through the dust into triumph. And then he showed it to you throughout the world. Unless a seed falls to the ground and dies, it will never bear a harvest. But if it does, you don't just get one more seed. You don't just get a handful of seeds. You get hundreds who bear thousands, who bear millions. He told us about this world because he wanted us to understand that we now have what he has. We have a father. His father is our father, which means we have his provision. We have his protection, not from suffering, but through every suffering. We have his inheritance. It is kept for you, undefiled, in heaven for you. It can never be touched. You can never be lost from him. We have confidence now that death is only our pathway to glory. We now get to do what the world cannot do. They see the sunrise and they Instagram the sunrise. And isn't the sunrise beautiful? We're the ones who watch it with a secret smile on our face because we know that every time the sun rises, the darkness flees. It has to. Because we know the sun who will cast away all darkness. We're the ones who, who watch the water fall from the sky and nourish the land. But we're the ones who know how to read it better. We know that we serve a Father who will nourish us 
as spring rains water the earth, Hosea said. We're the ones. They plant seeds just to get a harvest so they can sell it to get more of a harvest. And we're the ones who are like, no, no, no. That seed is a story. If you, the seed, die, then you will also bear a harvest. We're the ones who plant them and then they wonder if they will ever grow. And we're the ones who are like, oh, no, no, winter is no longer ruling this earth. The spring will come. The living things will burst forth because our Christ burst forth. We're the ones that have to translate the stories of this life for them. They don't know them. But we grow so fearful that we have this wrong. That maybe we don't have a father like we thought we did. Maybe, maybe we don't know what we thought we knew. So we have to readjust ourselves back into the reality of who Christ is. Here's the summary. You were saved for a reason. That reason is to display the image of Christ upon this earth. But you will not do it as long as you think you're a far better writer than God is. If you think you know you, you know this world, you know how this should all work. And that He will never take care of you. He will never get you to the end. You are an orphan. You're all alone. If you do, you'll grow selfish. You'll grow fearful. You'll grow jealous. You'll grow covetous. To stay in the story, you have to believe that He is a far better Father than you will ever be. He's a far greater writer than you could ever be for your story. And then lastly... Keep your eyes fixed on the story of Jesus so you don't grow weary and lose heart in the middle of living your scenes today. The scenes will throw you unless you know the end of the story. As you do, I want you to know people are going to notice something different in you. They did with the disciples. Peter goes from the guy who would grow fearful and ran away, right? to becoming the guy who preaches a powerful, bold sermon to the very people that crucified Jesus. John, in the Gospels, is the guy who's like, can we go kill them for even speaking in your name? And he becomes the beloved disciple, the one who wrote and pled for people just to know him and to speak in his name. You get James, the son of thunder, becomes the first martyr out of all 12 disciples. They changed. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it's one of my favorite verses in the Bible. The very people who knew Jesus and who knew what the disciples were like before Jesus rose from the dead heard John and Peter talking and they said they were astonished for they recognized these men had been with Jesus. That's what the world is supposed to say about us. I can recognize that he's been with Jesus. I know I can tell she's been with Jesus. The problem is today you may be waking up to the fact that you've been playing the wrong part. I did. At 19, I thought I was the victim in the story. You know, the poor little orphan, the one who needed rescuing. I didn't realize I'm the bad guy. I was the one doing harm, doing destruction, evil everywhere, thinking only about myself until God crushed me by showing me my story. And I came awake, and maybe this morning you're coming awake too. You think about the past week, month, year of your life, and you realize I've been the wrong character in the wrong story. I've got a new story. And I need to play my rewritten part, my resurrected part, 
to show the world the truth of who Jesus Christ is by my very life. That's the goal of Christianity, is to tell the right story wherever you go. That's my prayer always for you, and it's my prayer for me. Let me pray, and then I do have discussion questions. forgot to put them on your table. I'll get those out for you. Father God, we're grateful for today that you would tell us the right story through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray, Father, that you would give us the gift of seeing him through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through the church, through one another, that we would become people who live out this story with you, for you, that when others see our lives and then meet you, they actually know you better because they've met us. Father, I confess before you that just like these, that I don't want to. I often want to be in my own story. I like writing it. I like telling it. Father, I pray for all of us that you would change our hearts, that you would give us confidence and hope that you are a far better writer than we are. Give us your son through the Holy Spirit, by the power of the word, so that we might tell the right story with all of our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Would you pass out half on that slide?